0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week, I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. Crazy. Just as that was playing in there, them bongos, it reminded me of a couple of weeks ago when Ben Moore played his electronic bongos at the start of the podcast. That tickled me. But anyway, this week, episode number 119. It only feels like a couple of weeks ago when I'd done the uh, 100th episode of Me Interviewing Me. But before I tell you about this week's episode, our Patreon listeners... Thank you, each and every one of you. Without your support, this podcast would not be able to take place. You can support us by donating just £3 a month. You can follow the Patreon link in the Ministry of Arts bio. And if you're not able to do that, that's fine. This content is free for everyone. As you would have noticed, I've been putting out two podcasts each week. That's because I did have several recorded before I started installing my artwork at the Fulham Town Hall where I got to meet and discover several new artists, one of whom appears today, Louise Hall. And I'm also aware that quite often i mention him, Art in the Age of Now at Fulham Town Hall and also the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week. I mean, that is because I'm involved in both of them, but they are also two very large projects that are so large that even those of us who have become a little bit cautious and wary of going out and mixing with other people can afford to be overcautious at these venues and I'm also aware that they're London centric but you know unfortunately so am I but please if there's any large cultural happenings in any other regions please do drop us a line and let us know contact me tell me about them and I'll talk to one of their artists and if you're okay with smaller venues then just a couple of days ago we were speaking to Orlando Broome who's got an amazing exhibition stroke installation at the Grove Square Galleries. And that's on till the 11th of June. And also, friend of mine and of the podcast, Dan Pierce, his collaborative exhibition with Maxim is the debut exhibition of the newly opened 99 Project Space over in Kensal Rise. I would have gone to the opening of that, but unfortunately, that was the same night as the opening for Fulham Town Hall. But it's open until the 13th of June, so plenty of time for me to get down there. Well, I think it's high time that I start mentioning this week's guest, Louise Hall. As I've already mentioned, she's showing at Art in the Age of Now at Fulham Town Hall, and she's also representing and showcasing what's to come at the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week. So two for the price of one. Now Louise isn't long out of university and this is the first exhibition she's done away from her fellow students. And if I can just read you a bit of her artist statement. Louise Hall is a UK based multidisciplinary artist that focuses on performance, printmaking and sculpture to explore conversations on post-colonial ideas around the Black British experience in the UK and the diaspora investigating through the materiality of fabric and language to investigate social issues within the UK and the BAME experience. Challenging concerns of colonial narrative and history and the impact within education and many other aspects of society. The use of non-violent imagery within the works to represent violent traumatic events with ties to plantations, colonial history and transatlantic slave trade. Louise's installation at the Fulham Town Hall is a combination of various projects one of which is called 13 Dead Nothing Said which relates back to a house fire in South East London back in 1981 which took the lives of 13 teenagers and young adults and there's two stories about the cause of this fire one that it was an accident that happened internally the other that it was a racially motivated arson attack and two inquests over 20 years couldn't decide, which resulted in an open verdict. So this episode obviously deals with traumatic events. Listener caution is advised. How how did you find the town hall?
2: Yeah, really good, thank you. It was different to anything I've done before, um, and I think it was quite outside my comfort zone, but I yeah. really enjoyed it. And it was a really good space. Um, I got in the end lucky like it was... It's something that I always like about the buildings or like derelict spaces. So like,
1: yeah.
2: where I, they were like, "Oh, do you want to go in this like abandoned town hall?" I was like, "Ooh, yes, <laughs> I would like to be there." <laughs> so yeah, it was it was good. How did you find it?
1: This it's an excellent show, isn't it? It's just what we need coming out of lockdown.
2: Exactly, and I think also like when I was queuing, there was just queues going so back like to get in I was like this is what I love to see I love to see yeah. people are like that desperate to get in and I think it's also like a very different shift to what I've been doing before in the sense that like I graduated in a pandemic so we didn't have like the private view per se for any of our like grad shows or any shows I've done since so it was like yeah. the first time I'd done a private view that wasn't like uni related yeah and it was yeah. a very different feel to the ones I think slightly <laughs> more wild but in a good way but it was nice it's exciting was, though right yeah it was and they got like the land that said artist and I was like oh wow like this <laughs> and I was like I like I saw my parents like look it says I'm an artist <laughs> just a running joke my parents but we were looking at unis and stuff they were like oh why don't you do something more science-based and it's a running joke now that yeah like, I did the right thing, but like my parents were always like... It's, and it's, you've
1: it's, got a lanyard to prove it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's like, I've got my lanyard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're speaking about um, art in the age of now at Fulham Town Hall. If anyone wants to go there, where can they find your room?
2: So you can find my room in the Wrestling Demon section on the second floor. So as you come up the flight of stairs, I'm in the room directly in front of the stairs that you yeah. see. Um, and then you can just like go go inside and have a mosey on round, yeah.
1: The artwork that you're showing, it's very pleasing to the eye, but the undertones of the story, beautiful. Could you tell us about it?
2: Yeah, the work itself is kind of, it, as you say, it's like very visually uh, pleasing. It's really bright, it's really colourful, kind of like childlike, playful. And I wanted that to be the intention of these dolls because I wanted them to feel like, oh, there's something uncomfortable about them and it's like oh they're really soft and fun to play with but actually there's some there's something wrong in the picture that you're looking at and I wanted to play with this like sense of having a fake home setting that doesn't really feel quite right and as you said there's all these undercurrents of I'm looking at a picture but I'm missing a piece of the puzzle yeah brilliant so the the work really touches on um the lived experience of what it's like to be a person of colour in the UK but talking about Pacific Incident in New Crossgate um, in 1981 where there was a fire and 13 young people lost their life, and a 14th took their life after the event. So the work was kind of that catalyst of how do we mourn these these voices and how in a space that when we don't we don't see these stories in the media and how do we kind of think about trauma as a community? And actually, a lot yeah. of the time, a lot of my other work I look at like um, this idea of the plantation lineage. So it was like, okay, what other things have happened in my community, in, in my consciousness, and bringing that up into these conversations? Um, and it was quite a difficult kind of time making that work because it's now, it's the 40th anniversary this year. But when I was making it and kind of just completed it, um, George Floyd's murder had happened kind of a week or yeah. two afterwards. So then the work kind of took on this whole separate meaning for me. Because I was like, this work is talking about these black bodies that are, you know, really violently murdered and not asked yeah. for. And then this happens, this tragic thing happens. And it was like, okay, how do I, as a person of colour, mourn this person's loss? And how do I discuss these themes within my work going forward? So that's kind of the catalyst of the work and these undercurrents that are kind of coming through.
1: So the title of the work is 13 Dead Nothing Said.
2: So the 13 Dead Nothing Said is in the show with uh, the work in conversation. So it's taking those bodies into a different setting and wanting to make it into a different installation and kind of having that space of, okay, how else are these bodies interacting and thinking more of like these bodies in the sense of, okay, like how are they taking up space as well and having these conversations about race and dialogue and within the installation there's like a bookshelf of these, all these books and fake books, and these are all books I've read. And kind of one of my counterparts, who's a um, kind of my collaborator and like yeah. I guess a sister in the art <clears throat> world. We spend a lot of time talking about the work and a lot of time talking about these themes. We have I've got some of them, but their books as well because I thought for me that's part of the journey of how we've got to this status. So yeah, this bookshelf of books with all these people of color on them, and it's how can we take up all this space in different ways in the room? So as you go around, it's all about kind of these different, these really visual patterns, but all about kind of taking up as much space as possible.
1: You've got an armchair in there. Yes. What's the significance of the armchair?
2: I think for me, there's this idea of like having family members sit in an armchair. And often like my grandparents would sit in the armchair. Um, and I think when I was thinking about how to set up a front room or like a fake domestic setting, an armchair feels really homely to me. That's the yeah. idea of like a family home has an armchair in it.
1: Because visually, when I walked up the stairs and I saw it and, and I know that during, before I carry on, could you explain if, for anyone that doesn't know what 13 dead nothing said is?
2: Yes. Yeah, so... The fire that happened in Newquake Ross in 1981, in January. Yeah. It was two people's birthday parties, and it was celebrating, I believe, one of the girls' 16th birthday. And it was a group of people of colour having a party celebrating um, in the area. At the time, they, there was no National Front, and there was lots of tension in the area. And these people were having a party. Um, and unfortunately, were, there was a fire. And what is believed to have happened, it was an arson attack. Um, And that's kind of what the evidence is pointing towards, but there's been no type of justice. No, um, the police haven't confirmed anything. And there was real kind of push from the community going to the police, like, what are you doing? Our children have perished, 13 children had perished um, and nothing had been done. And this is where this kind of community action takes place. And one of the chants that the families kind of get together and start chanting is 13 dead, nothing said. So when I was making the work that felt the right voice to to carry on channeling it because I think we're still questioning what's happened to these families and what happened to these young people. Because I think also what makes this event really hard for me to to process was the fact that a lot of these people were younger than me and there yeah. were young people that had lost their lives. And I think there's yeah. something really young people losing a lives. of stuff. There's a feeling and there's a pit in your stomach more than anything that you that you feel, especially when they're younger than me. So I was trying to process like, okay, these people just aren't here anymore. Yeah, you know, they're just kids. They're, I was like doing the same at my age. I was, why is there no justice for that? And I think it's also a time when we know the police were being called institutionally racist. yeah. Um, because we see later on from the Sue Lawrence murder that they're being called institutionally racist. So it's, what have they done? And why has there been no justice for these families? And I think bringing that into into when it was 2020, going, why is there no justice? Yeah. And having that kind of seating and that conversation within the work.
1: And being a child myself, at the time you're talking about, 1981, just on reflection, I mean, it was a dark time for, for Britain. You know, it was the National Front, the British movement. There was a lot of racism. Well, everything that, that we're against now, in today's age, was sort of run of the mill in them days, you know. It was just part of the the British psyche, you know. But um, going back to the armchair, knowing um, about the the inquests that were done towards this fire, there was two narratives running at the same time. One was that there was a um, a petrol bomb had been thrown through the window and the other narrative was um, that the fire started inside by a, by an armchair. That's why I asked about the armchair
2: um, noticed that and I think that's something I might actually discuss more in the work going forward I really like that I, the idea of actually there as you said there are those two narratives and no one still has like we all have our thoughts but the police have still not made any arrests the police have still not found enough evidence to charge anyone or have made the effort to do that so I think it's very interesting on on how do we have this conversation especially around the armchair and around other things outside that room and outside the space that had caused that fire.
1: Well, That's the beauty of um, conceptual artwork is that you have the idea, but it's built up of loads of sort of like subconscious ideas and thoughts. Mm. And and sometimes it just takes time for, for all of these thoughts to come to the surface.
2: I do that sometimes. I do it through printmaking. I go like, okay, this is all the things that are in my head. This is what I want. And then that seems to... Be distill these ideas that are floating around in the head and I think also with 13 dead there's it's such like a big a big chapter of work in my life it's kind of the biggest and probably the most traumatic work that I've tried to make and tried to distill in some way so I think there's so many threads going through it and there's so many things like even the start of the story of how I encountered the the fire and how I learned about it was through an innerver um, study day where I yeah. met Eddie Chambers and Eddie Chambers was talking about it, and that's what started this whole process. Yeah. Which then feels really weird because I talk a lot about Eddie Chambers in my work and I read a lot of his work, so it's like nice. this weird cycle of them looking at the Black Arts Movement as like the catalyst to a lot of the the work I look at and a lot of the kind of the artists that I aspire to know and to be like and the work they have created and the channels and strategies yeah. they've made. So it's all of these things kind of going into this weird kind of cycle and all interlinking, which I think when you take that step back you see it kind of all putting together. Exactly. Like, oh.
1: Yeah. It's like you say, you're bringing together a mindful of ideas into, into one visual experience, depending on your knowledge and the knowledge of the person looking, you know, they're going to miss things. They're going to sort of see things that possibly you haven't even seen. That's um, yeah. Stepping into realms of conceptual art, man. It's, full of little landmines you know
2: yeah but I I, I also love it because I love when people can come to, to the work and see something completely different to what I've intended or seeing stuff things, and it's great and they come and tell me that oh I think this and this and this I'm like yes this is and great. they're not I'm wrong
1: like, and they're not right not no
2: but I love hearing because then I'm going go okay so you're seeing this okay and then I start thinking about I think often thinking about how I portray bodies and I've had a lot of conversations with some fellow artists about like How do we portray the black body? And how much do we allow to be seen? Where do we choose to be seen? How do we choose to show the body? And what is, as as I make work about identity and identity politics, what narrative and how do I choose to show that narrative and where I choose to say that narrative is really important. I've been doing kind of a lot of, I think, thinking, okay. What is the narrative that I'm trying to show and how can I make sure I'm getting that narrative across? But being respectful. And I think that's also in the back of my mind, especially when I'm talking about death and people, people who have died. I don't want to make it a spectacle. yeah I want to be respectful when I want to put that energy into remembering them and telling that story and reminding people that this still hasn't been solved. Yeah. Um, because I think that's that 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 balance, and it's always trying to work out what line of the balance I'm on and making sure that I feel comfortable with the work I'm making and the voices that I'm showing and how I'm showing it. And just, as I said, just being respectful and having that kind of tandem in in that way.
1: I mean, the the story that you're saying, it sort of, there was an inquest in 1981 Mm. that um, was given an open verdict, which meant that they couldn't prove either way, whether it was malice, accidental, And in, I think it was 2001, 2002, the families called for a second inquest, which they got again in 2004, which again ended in an open inquest. It's again left open. There's no further evidence.
2: Yeah, and I think it is. I think also it's this idea of like people staying silent because of fear of reposition. And sometimes in time, people do come out the woodwork, like, okay, I was really scared now, but I'm saying now, and I think it's also, it's really horrible, but the, like, in the case of Emmett Till in America, the woman that said that he had looked at her funny on her deathbed admitted that she had lied. I know. And I just remember, it's like, a, a, a kid had died because of your lies. Yeah. And you've taken your whole, you've carried that literally to your deathbed, and with your last, like, guess where, you've told the world that you lied, and, I don't know, I, I, don't, I can't judge someone else until I walk in their shoes, you know, I don't like to judge, but really, I feel like at some point you have to be honest with yourself and be honest with the world. Like,
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, not defending her in any way. I know from experience that sometimes it is a little lie at the start that all of a sudden you go, shit, I shouldn't have said that. If I admit it, I'm gonna look bad, so I'll cover it up. And then you cover up that and very probably she, she you know she was walking around with guilt all of her life yeah and um, again I'm not defending her I'm just saying yeah. how people sort of act you know
2: yeah I I think it is but it it's these things of like these incidents happening especially around race and like yeah people then just not having that that ability to to say what had happened and you know I really hope that we get some justice for this families and these families. because It's been 40 years. They deserve this justice. This is something that they've had to go through and they deserve to to know what happened. Either way, they deserve to know what had happened to their children. And it's really difficult because, as you say, it has been such a surmountable part of time. For me, it's looking at this thing before I was born, but trying to find people that I know who are alive at the time and what they remember of it as well. So it's piecing their emotions to to the work as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're several minutes in and uh, I think it's it's high time that I was to say I'm speaking to Louise Hall. So we've heard about one of your works, Louise, that is um, on at the moment at Fulham Town Hall. And this far in, I'll ask you my first question, which is how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work?
2: I think I would explain my work as just trying to understand who I am and how I reflect into the world. And that's a catalyst of it. And it talks about the black British experience and I'm picking that in a visual way. Yeah.
1: Did you always have an interest in art? Did Was there like art at home growing up?
2: Yeah, I was really lucky um, when I was growing up. I was fortunate enough to have the ability to do whatever I wanted within nice. reason. If I wanted to make something, I was able to make it. I wasn't worried about that. My parents were really supportive. So I remember making like paper mache piggy banks in the garden with my mum <laughs> nice. when I was like really young. And I think that energy of support that I've been really lucky to have, if you can do anything you want, you just have to work for it and put your mind to it allowed me to kind of make and when I was doing GCSEs and A levels we were like okay I'm really I'm enjoying this I'm enjoying making and then I went to university and I was like oh I'll do foundation we'll see how it goes because I've always been a firm believer in following what you love and also knowing with the education system even if I had done a degree in say accounting I might have not wanted to go into accounting so it was better to spend three years at university doing something I love than doing something to Carry on something that you might not go into. Yeah, but I was really lucky to kind of have that time nice and just to be able to make and just enjoy making. And
1: gives you that I freedom, think, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and I think up until now I've never really made work to be seen. I've always made work for myself, um, and I've started thinking about how it's seen, and that's changed how I make work a bit. But I've always made it for me and gone okay I'm making something for me to to like to me to see to me to reflect myself into and pull myself into and my emotional energy and I think it's a lot of my early work was understanding who I was and I had gone to university moved locations moved 100 miles away from home very different kind of setup and it was learning how people suddenly saw me kind of looking the way I do in a predominantly different area where I was getting looks for the way I looked and kind of pouring that into the work and like really understanding all of those things so I think as you see my work develop you see kind of that understanding of who I am in this world a bit more for me it's easier to make work for me in the sense that I think it also comes from a little bit of imposter syndrome that I kind of didn't think anyone would want to see my work I especially when I was making a lot of work about racism and using all the words that have been used against me and really unpacking that I was like no one no one's going to want to see this work. So I got very settled in the idea that my work wasn't necessarily to be seen. It was for me and I wasn't ever going to have it be seen. So I felt really comfortable making work because I was like, well, you know, I can put what I want into it. I can say what I want. I can give this emotional um, motion into it. But I think it's when I start thinking about other people saying it is added on pressure. Yeah. Of, okay, other people seeing what they're going to think, but also realizing that, The work has certain things that people won't understand. It will have nuances. It will be, oh, for example, 13 dead, the hands are in certain positions for a reason. And I don't necessarily want the viewer to understand all of those nuances.
1: No, no, you've got to leave room for them to discover.
2: Yeah, and I think that's what I like about the work. It's that fluidity of they can take what they want from the work, but there's a certain amount of um, imagery that they'll get. And there's some that might not get and that's fine and they can engage and enjoy it. and i think it's this root of it recently has been about educating and taking up space so it's especially with 13 dead they look at the work and they go okay something's happened here i might go and Google what happened yeah and that's enough for me that the fact that they've had that visibility of they go okay what's happened here let me read up and that for me was enough for the viewer to engage with
1: yeah you want them to come in and understand or be aware of the story that you're trying to tell, even if they don't know that story, that's the absolute first step that you you want the viewer to do, either understand your work or want to understand it. But then, like you say, positioning of the hands, you know, you want them to ask the questions, why are the books there? Why is the armchair there? Why is there 13? You know, what is 13 dead? You know, all of those little questions you want the viewer to ask. And like you say, if you put all of that information out there, they've got no questions to ask because you've told them everything you know you know you're you're letting people build a little narrative within their own minds that's that's the beauty of that conceptual work you know.
2: No, yeah, no, I definitely I agree with that I think it is letting those as you said letting them ask those questions and letting them discover the work for themselves and I think the work reflects quite a lot of these kind of themes of like who we are and where we are as a country and talk about trauma and talk about taking up space so people will see a different reflection when they're in that space and i think it's allowing people to to engage with that in their own in their own time and actually also understanding that some people will have difficulty engaging with it it's a lot it talks about really difficult themes and that's also okay not to want to engage with something that's so heavy and i understand and actually sometimes you have to take that step back and go, okay, what, like, is that what I want to put in the work? Is it going to be something heavy? Because also when you're making it, you're carrying that weight with you. So it's okay, how do I make that work Engage, able to engage, but also able to carry for this period of time?
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you're, you're trying to put forward, on, at least on the 13 Dead Nothing Said, the narrative that after 40 years, there's families still trying to look for a bit of, justice for their children that have died horrifically and just as a society just when we think oh we're coming out of those dark days of of racism and you know attitudes towards people of color gender you know sexuality just when you think you, you're sort of making progress then you have just something so fucking ridiculous as windrush happen, you know
2: and, and it and it's so difficult because it's bringing up all of these themes again. And I think also with Winnrush, it, it was this idea of actually that group of people, that's my family, were on, on, in that period. Exactly. They, were, exactly. they were coming over from the Caribbean. It's,
1: it's part of that narrative. It's the start of that narrative. And um, yeah, that um, that was just fucking ridiculous, really.
2: And I think it's also what we see is this like mass lack of education around why people came in Windrush and also understanding that and people are like, oh, well, all of this. And it's like, well, these people came to work, these people came for new lives. And also, as, a, as the British Empire did, they opened their doors like, come, come here, come, come work in our country, come yeah. build all of these things, come, come support our economy. But not going, oh, we're going to be massively racist to you. But it's, yeah. it's a really difficult kind of thing because you, then you're thinking actually around that period of time, Windrush, but also actually like the Jamaica where where my heritage comes from we didn't end up being a colony like we were still a colony till like 1962 yeah, yeah. which is really weird for me particularly because my dad was born before British they like the British relinquished their claim on Jamaica Yeah. so it's that dialogue of like especially within my family's understanding those and I think also for me because I'm mixed race it's then understanding that other dialogue that I'm having and how do I present that again in my work of having a dialogue as not just a person of colour but also mixed race and then yeah. having those internal dialogues and external dialogues that I'm quite honest about I think it's important that I'm honest about it because actually being in a room and having my work in a space I might not know but maybe you know another 15 year old Virgin of Louise is looking at that work he's mixed race and going I see someone that that looks like me and
1: sounds like me is making work. And right. that's really important. Well, if I can just sort of butt in and stop this conversation just there. When you listen back to this, you will hear at this point, a few moments ago, you said you, you don't feel that anyone would want to listen to your voice. What you've just told me there just sums up to me personally, why people should listen to you above, above a lot of other people. So honestly, just coming away there, don't doubt yourself because what you just told me there was I'm even fucking getting emotional. I'll
2: get, I, mean, no, I get emotional as well, it means right, a lot. From, say, what yeah.
1: you just told me there sums up you from your heart. So don't worry about anyone else. You just crack on me what you're doing because it's fucking beautiful, I'll tell you. Anyway, which piece <laughs> that you've created has got the strongest emotional connection?
2: Oh, it has to be 13 Dead Nothing Said. Of
1: course, of course it can't.
2: I think that was, I think also 13 Dead Nothing Said was, it was the hardest piece of work to make because A, I was in a pandemic and B, I was kind of in this time of 13 Dead Nothing Said was never meant to look the way it does. It was it was going to be a performance work. Um, it was completely different. Um, it was going to be like a performance mix with like all these tiny dolls placed on a wall and they, like completely transformed in April, 2020. Um, I just was like, cause everything had happened. And they're like, are you, cause it was part of my degree show work. So they're like, oh, we're having extension. I was like, well, if we are having an extension, I can make this, I can change this completely. I have time, I've got an extra month. I'm going to play around with it. So <laughs> I completely transformed the work. And I think it was after like a week or two of me just having a bit of a break from making. Cause obviously we had just gone into the national lockdown um, I couldn't get materials like everything had just been like everything that I'd been working towards had just gone like my degree show everything just dissipated and I was like I'm just gonna rest for a bit and then 13 dead I think 13 dead was this thing that just kept me going and I was able to pour all of this emotional energy and just not necessarily anger but just all of this stuff that I wanted to stay for three years throughout my degree into this. And all of these things about showing and being loud and taking up space, I just put it all into it. So I think 13 Dead has a lot of emotional um, topics. Talking about trauma, it's really heavy, but also for my part, I think there's just like this labor of love that had gone into it more than anything I had done before. And I think for me, 13 Dead will always probably be one of my favorite pieces of work that I've ever made and probably be one of the best that I will make for a while, I would say, because I really,
1: Right, you you're pretty much a student who's just come out of university, correct? Yeah. Right? So so you've just started on your journey. Don't look at it like that. That you've you know you you've fucking made your biggest thing now. If this is what you've made at the start, just think what's going to be down the line. So
2: that's true. Might we might cut that bit out of me saying that's the best no
1: no. It's part of learning and discovering, you know.
2: And it's also that the time that you carry it as well, I think, especially with works that mean so much, like those works that, like, I guess, in your brain and that you always kind of draw on. And then you meet the artist, you're like, yes. And then they're like, no, but I love it anyway. It's like, OK. And it's I think we build these, for me, at least I have these like several works or several artists. that I, I guess i not platform, but like I feel uh, an attachment to. And it's a uh, meeting them and hearing them and like seeing them in physical form instead of just re- reading what they've written. And it's that t- that kind of transcending to that point is really
1: interesting. Yeah, nice. You're also in the um, Kensington Chelsea Art Week, which I'm doing a few podcasts for as well. So, again, a nice little coincidence how we're both in the same um, in the same shows, as it were.
2: So currently so part of kind of the Kensington Chelsea Art Week my work is in Fulham show as part of that even though it's slightly ahead of the week itself yeah um so that's kind of where we are at the moment
1: Your artwork now is promoting Kensington and Chelsea Art Week within the Fulham show Yeah nice I saw a little quote of yours which I thought was a brilliant little quote and it says that you use non-violent imagery to represent violent and traumatic events. I thought that was a beautiful little sentence and phrase to sum up an artist's work.
2: It is, and I think it's something that I guess, I I think it's formed a lot of my practice. I think it's this like synergy of like, how do I look at black bodies? How do I look at slavery? Because I did a lot of some, for quite a period of time, we we're doing quite a lot on the plantation life, of like what it was like to be a woman on the plantation. And, I didn't necessarily want to use those violent imageries that we sometimes see and not yeah. that negative. I just didn't feel comfortable portraying that narrative at that time. And I think there was a pressure on me to portray something really violent and really gory and like have that be the work and people would be like, yes, I get it. But I kind of, I didn't think that was A, honest to myself and B, I didn't necessarily want to make work that was really visually violent. Yeah. So I looked excited to kind of, distill it down into like looking at the sugar cane and doing like drawings of the sugar cane Brilliant. and drawing of hair. So you see actually where that carries on into 13 dead, you see like um, these, some of the Sienna fabric has got like hair screen printed on, which I've done myself. And it's this energy of like, how do we have these shapes that, you know, a, a curl or an Afro hair, you know that's something that's intrinsically black. So like, how do we portray those forms and shapes without having to explicitly paint a body or portray a figure, yeah. one string strand would do the same. And I think that's like a, a push and pull that I see in my work and I want to carry on. I think that's like one of those backbones within the work is how do I portray narratives without feeling that pressure to make it visu- visually overwhelming and violent in that, in that sense. And other than
1: 13 Dead, in what medium do you, try and tell that story.
2: So often it's through kind of, I start with printmaking, that's kind of where everything begins in in my practice and playing around in the print room and doing like screen print to like lithograph to like etchings and to like everything in the screen room, (laughs) everything in the printmaking room is (laughs) got off of it, Seattle types. Um, And I was just kind of like, I play a lot and I'm thinking often about hair. So I do lots of different, I guess, figures or um, drawings and prints of hair in different forms. And then it kind of takes on either like performance or more like sculptural work, but really often including fabric. I really enjoy fabric work. Um, And someone asked me the other day about it, of like why that I love fabric and where has this come from? I think it again comes from like this idea of like family and lineage, like my mom and my grandma They've always taught me how to sew and knit and all of these things. So I think when I started doing fabric work, it felt like I was home, especially yeah. when I wasn't home because I was like sewing, so? then I called my mum. I was like, oh, if I was on the machine and something went wrong, I was like, oh, mum, how do you fix this? And it's, I think those conversations and those elements. So it's definitely to kind of answer that question. It, it reverberates through printmaking, performance and sculptural work. Definitely around voice and language comes into it. Just yeah. choose to play with that differently in each work.
1: Nice. And I mean, that's the beautiful, beautiful thing. I know we touched on it earlier, but yeah, you're on the start of your journey and it looks like you've, um, you've got the, the right tools to take on that journey with you. What do you do to relax, Louise?
2: I think, do you know what it is? It's spending time with my loved ones. I think that's probably the perfect been, like, answer. That's not... And just, Doing me and doing what my body says. Like, actually, if I need to rest, rest. If I want to watch four episodes of TV in a row, I'll do that.
1: <laughs> Perfect. And if there was five artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be?
2: Oh, that is a brilliant question. And I'll tell you what, so Audrey Lord um, yeah. has massively underpinned lots of my practice and lots of the literature I was reading. Um, I would pick Selica Jumbo, who is a close um, creative of mine, and we work really well together. We it have that is. energy.
0: Brilliant. Um,
2: I would pick Labaina Himid and Sonia Boyce. Hands down. I don't think I need to explain why I would pick those two. And I think I would pick, my last would be uh, Rosa uh, Udon, who is a performance artist working currently. And I just think they're incredible. Um, they're, they've got a show on at the moment that I'm hoping to go and see. And they're just, there's just something else. They're phenomenal. And the work they make is incredible. And Brilliant. They do, they've do they done a series of like kind of more singing based ones, calling out the institutions. And I could sit and listen to them for hours, I think. Excellent. So yeah, that would be my ask. My
1: Perfect. Ask. And if you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be?
2: That is a brilliant question. I think I would like to do anything that creates change in the world. So I think I would definitely be in education, um, teaching, any anything like that. I just want to make the world a better place. And you can do that in so many different ways and engage in so many different ways. So you know, probably teaching the next generation.
1: Apart from art in the age of now at the Fulham Town Hall, what else have you got coming up?
2: Yeah, so I've got a few projects that are kind of under underway started kind of getting them together um one of my main projects is I'm doing an interview series um with other artists that have all graduated quite recently um with canva se which is part we're part of the award group that have given me the platform award so i've been working with them to do a series of interviews with other artists which you can catch on fridays um, during june of 2021 so if you're listening to this after June 2021 just check out the instagram hopefully they're still there um, and i'm hoping to kind of do some residency based things and kind of trying to get out of working my my room at the moment get into the bit more of a bigger space and get some ideas out of my head into paper and then I've got a show coming up in March next year so I'm working towards that.
1: Excellent and where's the show?
2: It's in Studio Kind in Devon so yeah. Nice.
1: Excellent. Louise how can people find you be it social media or website?
2: Yes so they can check out my Instagram which is louise Unschool hall Unschool art um and then you can check out my website, which is louisehallart.co.uk. And yeah, they're pretty active.
1: Excellent. Louise, thank you very much for your time. That's all my questions asked.
2: Yes, it was lovely to speak to you. and I, I'm sure I'll hear from you soon and we'll catch up at some point in the future. And Excellent. Do you see look after yourself?
1: And you. See you later, Louise. Bye-bye. bye Good luck.
2: Well, how about that?
1: Louise Hall, powerful stuff, right? And I reckon it's not long before we're going to be hearing a lot more about Louise Hall. And likewise, with her installation, 13 Dead, Nothing Said, I think that artwork has still got quite a journey left in it. And how about me there? I got a little bit emotional when she was having a bit of self-doubt. I think it was because I was so impressed by what I was hearing. I thought, fucking hell, man, you're a young black female artist, the likes of which suppressed through art history. So don't go giving anyone the ammunition to doubt you. So yeah, that's Louise Hall at the Fulham Town Hall, until the 6th of June and if you're not in London pop over to her website or Instagram page now the next episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast is quite a biggie he's possibly the country's best loved podcast host a great comedian, great writer and studied art at the same university but a year above last week's guest, Orlando Broom. and it is of course Buckles himself, Mr Adam Buxton that's next week And I'm very excited. Like I say every week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. If you've got any queries, drop us a line on social media at ministryofarts.org. If you're enjoying these episodes, spread the word of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're not, well, fuck you, you won't be listening to this bit anyway. And those of you that are, thanks for listening. And until next week, ta